Welcome to Engineering Stories, a podcast presented and produced by Silver Fox and the Institution of Engineering and Technology. This week's guest is Shanghao Zhang. Shanghao is currently researching for Stanford's bioengineering program. He was first introduced to biomedical engineering by his aunt and uncle who worked at Medtronic in Minnesota. Since then, Shanghao has been committed to helping free people from pain and disease. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Engineering Stories. My name is Alex and I am the Head of Research and Development here at Silver Fox. Uh, alongside me today, I have Nicoletta. Hello, my name is Nicoletta Catalina and I am a second year student on electrical and electronic engineering at the University of Greenwich. And our special guest today is Shanghao Zhan. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, hello everyone. I'm Xianghao Zhan, and I'm a third-year PhD student from Department of Bioengineering at Stanford University. Fantastic. Right, Shanghao, would you like to tell us a bit more about what's involved in bioengineering? Oh, thank you very much for this question. Well, Stanford's Department of Bioengineering is more like a combination of bioengineering and biomedical engineering, and my work is more centered on the biomedical engineering. And uh, at Stanford, I'm very happy to work in the lab of David Camriel, the Professor David Camriel, on the traumatic brain injury. So uh, we are focusing on the optimization of the computational modeling of traumatic brain injury with machine learning and large animal modeling. And I also have a co-mentor, Olivier Givard. Under his guidance, I also perform a lot of analysis on the multimodal biomedical data mining. So yeah, that's about my work. And, and how, how does that translate into the real world? Uh, for instance, uh, uh, in the traumatic brain injury research, we kind of uh, develop models and also uh, develop some kind of the hardware we call the instrumented mouth guard. Or we also, we can refer to that as gum shield. So the players for American football or soccer, they can wear this kind of devices to measure the head movement, the head rotation. And the kinematics measured by this kind of devices could be uh, transferred to our models of computational machine learning head model that could output their brain uh, dynamics, such as the brain strain and brain deformation. And this kind of information could help us to diagnose diagnose whether there are traumatic brain injury or axonal injury or blood-brain barrier disruption happening inside of the brain so that we can help the players to stop early and seek for in-time treatment. Wow. Well, as a rugby player, or as a, as a, as a wannabe rugby player, that's, that's quite a big big part of the sport at the moment um there's been lots of research into early onset dementia and uh and things as as it, as in american football um early onset dementia in players who have had serious tra- brain injuries so that's really really yeah cool. yeah thank you how long have you been working there for if you don't mind me asking uh, I'm happy here working in this lab for two years and yeah you know actually in the first year of PhD life in Stanford it's like rotation we go to different labs and do different kind of rotational projects and get a feeling of a specific lab and I did my first rotation which is a quarter about three months at the, my current lab and then I rotated to other labs 
and I finally joined the lab in July 2020. So that so far, probably I have been working here uh, around over one year and a half and to two years because I did another additional rotation uh, quarter here. So probably that's two years in total. Wow. So mm, is this yeah. the second lab you're working at? Uh, this is my first lab I worked at, and my second lab is actually uh, under the guidance of Professor Olivier Givard, which is a lab working on the biomedical data fusion with machine learning. So I'm kind of now commented by both PIs, so that uh, I have uh, this kind of guidance on machine learning from Dr. Olivier, and then come back to uh, work on the exact application field in clinical settings, which is the traumatic brain injury. So it's a I think it's a beautiful combination, and I really enjoy working in this field as a kind of interdisciplinary study. Mm. You look very excited about it, so. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> So how how did you get into this field? Mm, well, thank you very much for uh, for your question. Well, I think uh, this should really be attributed to my aunt and my uncle's influences, um, because uh, actually this uh, they influenced me with this kind of interest in biomedical engineering. Both of them have been working on in the in the company called Medtronic, which is a company that make pacemakers. Um, some kind of cerebral valves, and which really shows me the the life-saving technologies and how that could save lives. How we could use the engineering technologies to save lives, and with their help, I have paid visit to uh, the company Medtronic in twenty ten and twenty fifteen, and these trips really influenced me a lot, and uh, one and this also uh, it made me really excited in this field. For, for instance, in the future, I want to devote myself to the life-saving technology to develop some kind of new computational tools or hardwares that could help those suffering from diseases that we could help them to uh, kind of relieve their suffering and pains. And I think this is really some of the inspirations I got from my aunt and my uncle. And another reason that led me to had uh, towards this field was from my uh, undergraduate mentor, Professor Guang Li. He graduated uh, from his PhD in uh, Imperial College London in biomedical engineering. Mm -hmm. And under his guidance, I have been working on a lot of biomedical sensor work. Uh, for instance, we have used that kind of artificial olfaction system, which we also call like uh, electronic nose. We use that kind of sensor to detect the, whether uh, a sample contains the lung, whether a sample point to a lung cancer patient or healthy control with the breast air. And we also use that system to discriminate different types of herbal medicines to ensure the best quality treatment for the patient. And I really enjoy this kind of work with this kind of sensor works and biomedical applications. I really feel that I can uh, use the technology things to improve the healthcare. So I think this is, these are some of the influences that really led me to head toward this direction of biomedical engineering. And that's also the reason why I chose to work uh, furthermore in the interdisciplinary field mm -hmm. in Stanford, yeah. How, how come you, um, you ended up in the neuro uh, section if, if your aunt and uncle were um, 
doing stuff with hearts oh uh, yeah you were doing stuff with cancer for your undergrad how what why the neuro wow really great question thank you very much for this question well uh, the first thing is that when i was paying visit to metronic in 2015 yeah i visited another division which is kind of uh, uh show which shows me this kind of uh, neural stimulation where uh, the they mechanic developed the deep brain stimulation. They used electrodes inside of the brain to uh, to detect irregular signals and uh, use the electromagnetic waves to uh, kind of uh, uh, counter this kind of effect uh, from the uh, epilepsy, I think. Yeah, and that is really excited. And meanwhile, when I came to Stanford, I feel that I felt that uh, the field of traumatic brain injury is really uh, less frequently studied by researchers and there are lots of things unknown so far in this field and I, I really think that the brain is a beautiful thing and traumatic brain injury is really complicated miss so I want to delve further into this uh, into this field and try to make contributions from my side yeah and I think that is it and meanwhile my undergrad uh, undergrad mentor professor Guang Li his uh, PhD was also in the neuro field, although uh, I worked with him uh, in the field of biomedical sensors. Uh, he actually had a lot of projects ongoing in our undergrad lab uh, that are focusing on that focuses on, for instance, the uh, electronic uh, e EMG, the electromyography. I think, yeah, mm -hmm. something that is related to the neuro neural things. Yeah, and I think that really inspired me a lot, even though I'm not working on that specific problem. Yeah. I was just listening. I'm being fascinated. Um, so what was the undergraduate course you've, you've achieved? What did you study? Oh, thank you very much for this question. Well, uh, in my undergrad, my major was automation, and it has another major, a major name in English called uh, control science and engineering. Oh, so, so an in engineering degree. Yeah, yeah, it's really like, uh, I'd like to say electronic engineering or electric engineering. So we learn a lot about the hardware, software, and some other series of controlling systems, signal and systems, and also pattern recognition things. And I'd like to say that this kind of courses really prepared me a kind of solid foundation for future research work. Brilliant. And wh where, where did you do your undergrad? Uh, I did my undergrad in China and in Zhejiang University. And, and was, yeah. that diffi was it difficult coming to going to America to study your PhD? Uh, I'd like to say change? that. Yeah, I'd like to say that. Yeah, because usually uh, we have to take a uh, lots of uh, standard exams such as TOEFL, yeah, and also GRE, uh, and also have uh, high rankings. For instance, to apply to schools such as Stanford, Harvard. Yeah, I like to say that it's a little bit uh, challenging during the applications. Season. Yeah. Yeah, and what what about the culture and the did, was that was that different? Yeah, that yeah, I like to say that it is completely different. And uh, so far in the Bay Area, which is in the um, Silicon Valley, I think there are a lot of uh, Chinese graduates from, and we I kind of. Uh, I feel that probably speaking Chinese every day sometimes in, in, in addition oh, really? to speaking English with my uh, PIs in the labs um, but you, there are lots of Chinese graduate students here so we have always have a kind of feeling of just like like being in China yeah but uh, when I was for instance visiting other places such as Boston 
or mm -hmm. Connecticut. Yeah, I like to say that the style are totally different. So generally speaking, so yeah, this kind of cultural background and cultural styles are different from China, but it, the extent of the difference could also vary uh, from the East Coast to West Coast. Yeah. So based on your degree, because you said you had kind of like electrical and electronic engineering, what made you go into the more medical side of it? Did you have any interaction or were you exposed to this or did you expose yourself to it? Yeah, thank you very much for this question. And I'd like to say that my undergrad research work or this kind of a junction or this kind of connection that, that connect me, connect my major, undergrad major to this kind of field. I'm really fortunate to work with my undergrad pro uh, professor uh, Guang Li yeah, and his experience and also his inspiration really uh, kind of uh, kindled my interest in this field. So yeah, I think uh, it's pretty the, the answer to this question. You know, that is the kind of uh, my undergrad research work. Yeah. Wow. Brilliant. So you knew from early days what you wanted to do. You had a goal and you had your mindset. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, probably uh, before I started my undergrad in 2015, I paid visits to Minnesota to my aunt and, and my uncle's company they are working for. So I think, yeah, that really kind of um, um, helped me to uh, help me to know what I want to do in the future. And I think biomedical engineering is a kind of field that we not only uh, develop some intricate uh, engineering or technology, technological products, but also we know that our work are going to make a difference and we're going to, our work are going to relieve pain for the suffering, suffering, uh, the people who are suffering diseases. And also, yeah, and I think this feeling really gives me a sense of achievement. And also, uh, we are also, uh, as engineers, we are also uh, sensing this kind of responsibility uh, to the society. So I think uh, in this field and working in this field, we are always uh, feeling this kind of happiness in doing this, yeah. So, what in in biomedical engineering? What do you think the biggest challenge is 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 going to be or has been in the past? Okay, thank you very much for this great question. Well, I'd like to say that the biggest challenge is always uh, translation. Yeah, for instance, in our field, the traumatic brain injury, uh, this kind of research between human study and the animal study are kind of separated uh, because as you, uh, because of the ethical reasons, we cannot do any TBI researches in the control settings in humans. And most of these previous studies are done in the animals, either small animal or large animals, such as pigs or small animals like the rodents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and but these kind of studies are far away from being translational. So for humans, we still don't know a lot of things, how we could treat, how we could better diagnose TBI. And in this field, generally, I think this translation is something that we have to cover. It is really a huge gap between the basic and the scientific studies and how we're going to turn that into treatment, into product. And uh, this was also one of the ideas I got from the engineers when I was visiting Minnesota, the company, in 2015. One of the engineers mentioned that uh, the food at the FDA in the U.S. control a lot of patents and a lot of things that we can make into the market. And the 
and this kind of process is very challenging and very hard for the uh, companies to make changes and make their new product into manufacturing into the market so yeah so this kind of challenges are still uh, centered around the uh, this kind of central topic which is translation so we are always trying to make uh, more contributions to this field and trying to make the research we are doing we're working on uh, that could have translational and clinical applications I guess because you can't to have a control where you subject people to traumatic brain injuries because that would be yeah horrendous. usually uh, in our field I suppose that uh, the human studies are more like done on those who are frequently uh, suffering concussions such as American football players or mixed martial art players so we give them some sensors and measure this kind of uh, impacts they had impacts and mm. and try to link that with the brain dynamics. But the problem was that uh, usually the players play a lot of games and there could be multiple had impact inside of the game. So you cannot just tell them, okay, you need to stop here. Let's study that impact and how that, uh, how that influenced the brain deformation. So it's really hard to perform any analysis on field to be in this kind of control settings. So that's the reason why I think that a lot of studies, with, uh, in a lot of animal studies, we can focus on single impact studies. But for human studies, there are huge barriers that we, we still have yeah. to overcome. Yeah. I guess there's also no guarantee that the players will get concussions in a game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And sometimes the concussion may not be only due to the impact. This may also be due to some kind of other physical conditions that may be there before the impact so it's really key complicated to study in humans yeah have you have you become more aware of concussion since you started on this project yeah yes i really think so yeah in the past um i saw that concussion happens when we got hit in the head really hard but uh after doing this kind of uh, research i find i realized that not only hitting the head or the impact directly to the head can cause concussion, the rapid acceleration and deceleration are even more important. For small animals, uh, this is what we call a focal injury, where uh, the injury are close to the impact or impact locations. But for humans, because the, the brain is like kind of it's like kind of a jelly, a gel-like, yeah, and uh, when the head rapidly accelerates or decelerates the skull control and also restrain the brain's movement. So this leads the brain to deform. So mm. we, re we really have to focus not only on the impact to the head, but also this kind of rapid acceleration and rapid de deceleration, rapid rotation to the head. So after this, probably in the future, uh, I will also, for instance, when, uh, when we're driving, we should always take care and not to yeah play play fire <laughs> yeah play, ma play with matches when while driving yeah yeah so does uh so i was gonna say is does that put fighter pilots and uh like racing car drivers at risk as well yeah exactly so maybe they could be uh le less frequently suffering this kind of impact directly to their head but uh this kind of uh ha this kind of deceleration and huge acceleration in, for instance, 20G or 40G. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could really cause problem. 
And I suppose this is also one of the things uh, happening on aircraft carriers. Yeah. Yeah, aircraft. Yeah, I guess when, astronauts as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when we are landing, the acceleration is huge. Yeah, so this could yeah, be very dangerous, I suppose. Yeah. Interesting. Now, Very interesting. Now I feel so lucky because I do have a question. This re uh, this talk reminded me of my college days, where I've been told that when the brains um, when the brain hits the skull, that's when you get the concussion. Is that true? Um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> general. I think that is general true. Yeah, because no matter uh, it's a direct direct impact to the head, that yeah. could cause a huge impact to the skull and the brain also this kind of rapid acceleration and deceleration because the brain are moving with inertia it is also contacting the skull because the skull is kind of rigid with your body yeah. but the brain are kind of rotating in, with inertia and this kind of um, contact between the brain and skull can cause this kind of deformation so generally i generally speaking uh, i i think that statement is true yeah thank you because for a long time I thought it was a myth. <laughs> Silver Fox proudly supports engineers with all their cable, wire and pipe labelling requirements. The Fox in a Box thermal printer has the ability to print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer and one ribbon, saving loads of time for the engineers out there in the field. For more information, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus 44 01707 373727. So, so you, you're doing your PhD at the moment. Yeah. Uh, how many years have you got left? Uh, let me think. Yeah, so far I'm in the third year. Yeah, usually uh, students in departmental bioengineering gra graduate in five years. So probably still three years left. Yeah, but so far I think uh, if I can work harder and, and also yeah make quick progress, I think four years will also be possible. So I'm thinking trying to uh, finish this part as quickly as possible because I, uh, I mentioned that the major thing in this research field is kind of translational research. So after I graduate, I kind of planning to, I'm planning to do kind of um, this kind of a practice, practice in the industry field, trying to see how they could uh, better translate the ideas and the basic science research into the actual product that could benefit the users. So I think, yeah, this is my current planning and, and also mm. my thoughts to my uh, following years, yeah. That sounds like a lot of studying. How do you keep yourself motivated? Well, yeah, this is a great question. Well, so far, I think uh, keeping myself motivated, I think maybe there are three things that are most important. First one, that is this kind of research is very important, the traumatic brain injury research. This is um, when each time when I know I'm working on this field, I know that I'm helping those suffering from TBI because I'm also a hardcore sports fan. I play volleyball and sometimes when I'm uh, blocking, I got hit uh, in the head. Yeah, and so sometimes you can see the stars uh, yeah, hovering over my head. So that is sometimes uh, that we can feel the deformation of traumatic brain injury, although it may not be exact injury, but uh, this reminds me, always reminds me that uh, the work I'm working on are important and that could help those uh, suffering from TBI. And secondly, 
I think that、uh, I have a great support from my family and my friends, and I I think yeah personally I think I'm very outgoing, and I have a lot of friends not only in the U.S. but also、uh, in China in U.K. And sometimes we just Zoom have a Zoom meeting and talk about our feelings, and this could really relieve my pressure during the research work and also the coursework, and also the support from my family as well. And last thing that I I play volleyball, badminton, tennis, and this kind of interest help me keep a kind of、uh, work life balance. It's、mm. not like yeah every week.、Um, uh, I'm looking forward to the game on Wednesday or game on Sunday. Yeah, so it seems it seems that、uh, while doing work, we always have a kind of feeling. Okay, we are going to have some kind of bonus at the end of this week. Yeah, which is a kind of volleyball game, and. Yeah, I really enjoy that kind of feeling. So this kind of、uh, work-life balance and support, emotional support from my family members, from my friends, help me、uh, to realize that the life for PhD is not that hard, is not that、uh, laborious, but also very enjoyable. We are making、uh, progress. We are helping others. We are doing research. We are making contributions to the humankind. Also. We are also enjoying our life along this route. Yeah.、Mm. So your your you mentioned your friends、um, in China and in and here in the UK. Are they also、yeah. doing PhDs? So can they relate to 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 what you're going through? Or yeah, thank you very much for this question. Well, some of the friends are doing PhD, and I think most of the friends they already graduated from their master degrees. And I, one of my best friends in UK, he's now a、uh, working in UK. He graduated from、uh, UCL, and uh, um, uh, after his graduation, he's now working in a company, and he's also applying to graduate stu-、uh, PhD students positions、um, okay. this year. And th- there are other students in China. They are also applying to the graduate, uh, uh, I think, PhD degrees in the US. Yeah, because you know I finished my undergrad in twenty nineteen, and in China this kind of、uh, master degree takes about two year and a half. So it is about the time they are going to apply to further their education in a PhD, for instance. Yeah. Well, so uh, that I mean, when I was at when I was at uni, we had、um, my course. We had a、uh, a scheme with a Chinese university. I can't remember which one. Uh, where they came and did, they did two years there and then two years here and then got,、wow. got their degree.、Um, which oh, was, that I is mean, really cool. cool! Yeah, it was cool for them. They got to come to the UK. It was cool for us because we got to work with, you know, people people who we wouldn't necessarily get to work with、um, normally. So that was、yeah. really cool. But I didn't realize that the master's degrees took so long. Yeah, in China that takes a long time. Yeah, and I really enjoy that. And I think you mentioned a great point. I think, for instance, at Stanford University,、uh, the students are from really, really diverse backgrounds, and it was really great to meet with and work with people from all around the world. And I think, yeah, this is great diversity. I can enjoy here. Yeah. Yeah. Why do master's degrees take two and a half years in China? When they only take a year, do you think that, that there's more there's more content taught, or is there less? W- what、oh, what do you think th- the difference is? Yeah, thank you very much.、Uh, I think yeah, generally、uh, based on my understanding and also my 
feeling uh, during the communication with uh, my my friends who are doing master in US and master in UK and master in China in China. I I'd like to say that in China uh, the master students they usually take more internship. Uh, mm-hmm. Although it's two year and a half, probably they take one year and a half doing internship. The coursework may not be as heavy as those degrees in UK and US. Yeah, but they have lots of time working uh, in the industry field, and also working. Uh, this kind of internship could be done in the industry field, but also in the academic field in a specific mm-hmm. lab. So although it's two year and a half, it's more like one year of course. And one year and a half of internship and also research work, yeah. And I think that that probably the reason why uh, that takes a longer time than that in UK and in US. And yeah, and 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 when I'm taking some kind of master degree courses at Stanford, I feel that the courses really take a lot of time. Yeah, the courses are very uh, challenging mm. and time consuming. So I think uh, for the master students, mainly in the US. Uh, they are more focusing on this kind of uh, coursework because the coursework could already give you the entire ecology of specific field. For instance, when we are taking the course of uh, deep learning, that not only teaches you this kind of core technologies, but also give you projects to work on this kind of uh, practices. Yeah, and execution of the algorithms. So it's like in China. The course are courses and internship are internships, but the uh, for the my feeling for the U.S. system is like the course plus a small project as a kind of practice. So it's like separating that uh, two main major part in China into uh, small small bundles and do that one by one. Yeah. Wow. So it's 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 actually quite similar in time, in in learning, but that you guys yeah. do a. Uh, an internship or some academic stuff yeah um, uh, that is that is quite useful like yeah getting I like to have the, some hands-on really experience useful. yeah but do you, do you guys tend to do a um, an internship with your bachelors as well mm, yeah I, I suppose most of the students do internship and this kind of internship could be different uh, because uh, different uh, students have different uh, career planning. Uh, for students who are willing to go to work in the industry field, they usually do uh, this internship in the full fourth year or I think usually in the, in the fourth year of undergrad to work in specific companies. And for students who are willing to pursue further education in PhD, uh, like me, yeah, we usually do this kind of internship in, um, in for instance, in the research institute in 2018, I have been I have been in UCLA working with a professor there, and in 2019, I have been in the University of Cambridge. And I think yeah, this kind of uh, academic or industrial internship are also very common for the undergrads as well. Yeah. So doing so much research, and because it's in the medical field, how do you keep yourself updated? How do you keep yourself up to date with everything that's happening and changing? Wow, this is a great question. Thank you very much for this question. Well, for this question, usually um, I think that I really have to keep an open mind. Uh, usually, uh, the latest researchers are the, the information of the latest researchers could be gathered from papers, from publications. For instance, um, I'm working on. Sometimes I work on the review articles, and I just 
uh, have a list of all the papers published and you know Google scholars that always push new articles related to my field so I have a look at that every day and then um, take a note of the key points of the new article and of the latest published uh, papers and this is the, uh, something that we could get from this field and meanwhile because I still I work in this interdisciplinary field I have not only have to concentrate on the development in TBI in the clinical applications but also the computational tools that could be helpful so I took more courses in the computer science department statistical department and also during along this route I also started a reading group on machine learning and artificial intelligence every week so we discuss with friends who major in this field or in related field to have discussion over the latest development so in this in this uh, matter we could get this kind of feeling of both the clinical information from the publications but also uh, the latest computational technologies computational algorithms from this kind of discussion with uh, the friends yeah if you were to talk to someone like Nicoletta or I um, uh, about biomedical science or biomedical engineering and you said do read this one book or this one publication and you'll understand it what would it be well yeah reading reading a book really takes a long time yeah and I think the most important thing that could be very helpful for us should be physiology yeah the book of physiology yeah, and uh, but this may be boring. So actually, uh, instead of uh, recommending a book on physiology, actually I recommend one uh, uploader on YouTube. Uh, his name is Chabiyamu. Yeah, and he always makes uh, videos uh, illustrating, for instance, uh, with examples, clinical examples, whether, for instance, uh, a a mother have uh, have eaten something uh, wrong, and this is what's happening to his uh, stomach, uh, her stomach. Sorry, her stomach or something like that. So that in that uh, kind of uploaded videos, we could learn the how uh, why uh, this kind of thing happens and how the physiology of a particular system works. So yeah, I think uh, if it's one book to understand biomedical engineering, I think these. A physiology book is the most important and if you want it to be more interesting the YouTube uploaders uh, could be very helpful yeah brilliant just a note to Millie off off the record maybe we can get that and put that in the link in the description for this podcast yeah I, well yeah well I was preparing for my qualifying exam uh, this year in, I not only look at the lectures on physiology, but also watch these videos almost every day. It's very interesting. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So, uh, what what advice would you give to a aspiring biomedical engineering student to so they could get into a career like yours, a PhD, and then going on to save lives? Mm, thank you very much for this question. Well, for this one, I'd like to say that probably uh, I suggest that they keep an open mind and also a kind heart. So, yeah, engineering uh, kind of uh, where we have to bear in mind that engineering is here as a sharp tool for the good wills. The good wills are just like helping others. So we are, we are always uh, kind of required of having a kind heart of trying to help others. And meanwhile, 
we should not not only limit not only limit our knowledge to the field we are working on, for instance, traumatic brain injury, but also keep an open mind uh, to all the resources, all the technology technological developments such as artificial intelligence, because that could really uh, be the point that can make innovation. In yeah. So, what is the final goal for you? Uh, uh, what does the final goal mean? For instance, in ten years, in five years. For example, what what aspirations do you have for your career? Where would you want to stop if you would like to stop? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I think for researchers, yeah, I think uh, there's no point of stopping. Yeah, I think yeah, always moving forward and enjoying the beauty of science and engineering and the products we make and the sense of achievement is really great. Yeah, we could, for instance, after one project, we get another project and each project we know that they are going to help others and probably we are going to keep going. And as for some kind of uh, seasonal changes, for instance, uh, I think after my graduation, I plan to go to work in the industry field as an industry research scientist, for instance, for a while and try to see how the models, how this kind of development could be changed uh, into the translational products. And I think that will be my planning for the graduate uh, after I graduate from Stanford. Yeah, but generally I think yeah, the projects are always there and we always find interesting things and we should keep on going. Yeah. Brilliant. If you want them to, how can our listeners connect with you online? Oh, thank you very much for this question. Well, uh, you, you can, I think, probably find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, there are also chat box, I think, on LinkedIn so that we can have kind of a like instant messaging yeah, feeling. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And I'm sure that hopefully people have lots of questions about biomedical en- engineering because the stuff you're doing is does sound really, really interesting. So thank you. Thank you, Zhang Hao, for, for your time this morning you. for you um, it's been a re- really really interesting thank you very much thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the engineering stories podcast we hope it's given you some insight into another area of engineering if you're still here at this point we must be doing something right so stay tuned for the next guest and in the meantime share this episode with your friends and family and don't forget to subscribe